Luke chapter 4, I want you to notice an interesting little detail that Luke gives us in the very, very first moments of our Lord's earthly ministry. It says in verse 30, but he, Jesus, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Now, maybe you're wondering why that little detail is, quote, interesting, or why it's anything more than just a passing reference to where the Lord Jesus was headed next. Well, I think you're going to see why as we look at this text together and speak on the subject, walking through the crowd. Walking through the crowd. Let me say this. In Luke's narrative, our Lord had just concluded, as you know, the great temptation out in the wilderness. That was Satan, of course, testing the Son of Man while Jesus was alone for days and even weeks. And it's in that loneliness that the devil comes to him and, of course, comes to us. And he always sees an opening and an opportunity. Except, of course, Jesus won that battle. And you'll notice it says in verse 13, the devil departed from him, quote, for a season. You should look that word up sometime. It's the Greek word that simply means until another time, until an opportune time. It's just a reminder that it's not only those times of loneliness and solitude, times of hunger and boredom the devil uses. It is also the crowd. It's times of busyness and popularity and fame amongst people. So that the crowd is always a very dangerous place for a child of God. So yes, walking through the crowd, as Jesus did in this occasion and many other occasions right after it, it's not just interesting, it's pivotal, it's powerful, and it's purposeful. Let's pray. Father, please help us today. We know that everything, if if everything Jesus ever did and said were written, the books, the world itself could not contain the books. But these are written. These details, Lord, and your word and here and this text is given so that we would be admonished and encouraged and strengthened and convicted, and I pray we will be. And as Brother Chris played, prayed earlier, for those in this room that are not saved or watching by live stream who do not have the blood of Jesus, that have washed away their sins, may this be the day of salvation for them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three lessons this morning I want us to consider very carefully in light of the simple fact that our Lord Jesus passed through the midst of the crowd. In fact, what it actually says is that Jesus passing through the midst of them, quote, he went his way. So you see, the crowd didn't stop him. They tried. The crowd did not steer him. They didn't even slow him. And they didn't as our example for three very powerful reasons. The first one I want you to notice with the crowd is that number one, Jesus, our Lord, our example, our Savior, Jesus wasn't flattered by the crowd. I want you to notice in the text how often Luke emphasizes the people's applause and adulation. Look back, if you would, at verse 15. It says, and he taught in the, in the synagogues being glorified. Seen, lifted up by, or of all. You're going to see that word all a lot, by the way. Verse 20 says, and he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Verse 22, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. 
And of course, folks, this kind of awe and wonder follows the Lord Jesus everywhere. Look at verse 31. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Verse 37 says, and the fame of him, the fame of Jesus went out into every place of the country round about. Well, of course it did. Never man spake like this man. The question is this. The question is, what will the Lord Jesus do with all of this attention and fanfare? I mean, we know what Saul did with it in the Old Testament. We know what Solomon did. We know what Lucifer did. We know what Nebuchadnezzar and Herod and Caesar and Henry VIII and Jim Jones and so many others. We know what they did with it. They were all flattered and deceived and seduced and ultimately destroyed by it. Pride goeth before a fall. Yes. And always that fall is very hard. And by the way, by fall, we don't necessarily, and destruction, we don't necessarily mean just physical and material. The fall is oftentimes moral and spiritual. In other words, for some Christians, popularity and fame And flattery destroys their fidelity, their loyalty, their devotion both to Christ and to his word. People admire you at work. People applaud you for what you do. People in your neighborhood, people in the area, they think you're amazing. You don't want to ruin a good thing. You don't want to disappoint the fans. You don't want to lose their esteem, right? So there's no way you're going to be bold and faithful and unashamed and thus alienate the crowd. And so the crowd therefore owns you. But what did Jesus do? I want you to see this. What did our Lord Jesus do? In fact, what did he do when he knew his entire hometown at this moment was in awe of him? When he knew that the eyes of every man, of all of them, in that synagogue were fastened on him. Here's what he did. He said in verse 25, I tell you of a truth. And he did tell them the truth. He told all of these big admirers the truth, knowing full well that they would respond as they did in verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, the truth, were filled with wrath. Now, wait a minute. Understand, this is the same crowd who just earlier in that day wanted to give Jesus the key to the city. They wanted to give him medals and accolades. Exact same thing happened at the very end of Jesus' ministry. Because the same people who threw down palm branches... And sang songs of Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That same crowd would later cry, hours later, crucify him. We will not have this man to rule over us. And yes, it is a reminder, beloved, that it's not just wrong and it's not just dangerous to get all puffed up by praise. It is really seriously dumb. Pride is always folly. But it is never more so than when it is brought on by the fickle praises of the crowd. Rudyard Kipling, upon hearing about the bravery of Leander Jameson, and he was a true British hero, he sat down and he wrote a beloved poem in the Victorian era called If. 
if you can talk with the crowd and keep your virtue. One of the lines in that poem I've always appreciated says this. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. Praise and criticism, both imposters. Any believer who allows the approval and the praises of the crowd to puff him up, especially so much as to be ashamed of the Bible or his Savior or the New Testament church is out of his mind. That is the cheapest and the dumbest sellout of all. Never be swayed or seduced by people's applause because in a moment's notice, they will turn on you, the same ones. No, we are all in this place serving the same God and he alone is worthy of our praise. So yes, Jesus walked through the crowd. Passing through the midst of them, the Bible says he went his way. And that means he went God's way. And the reason is that our Lord spoke the truth. He simply did not allow the flattery to trim his sails. Let us be that person. Let this church be that church. There's a crowd around us. There's a crowd in this town, in this county, in this state, and in this country, and in this world. And they are very loud on social media. Let us never allow their praise, their applause, their accolades to cower us into being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing you'll notice, number two, not only was he not flattered, number two, he wasn't fearful. Verse 28 again, and all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. I told you they'll turn on you. Why don't you just try to please God? Amen. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And he rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him into the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong, meaning head first. Now, folks, I want you to think about this. If the people in Jesus's own hometown, if families in Galilee who knew Joseph and knew Mary and knew the Lord Jesus all their lives, if they could get so angry and so hostile over the Bible, which is what they were getting angry about, that they wanted to throw Jesus off of a cliff, then what must others farther away tend to do? And what should our Lord do about all of this animosity now towards he and the gospel? Take a break from preaching? I mean, that's rough stuff. She just kind of call it quits, a sabbatical? Be afraid, very, very afraid? Well, here's exactly what he did. Verse 30, but he passing through the midst of them went his way and quit. No, And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Folks, Jesus wasn't afraid of the crowd. Not that one in Nazareth, not this one in Capernaum, and not the next one all the way down in Judea. Our Lord did not run from the crowd. He walked through the crowd. You'll notice how the chapter ends. 
In verse 43, he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. The crowd, listen, beloved, he wasn't flattered and he wasn't fearful. The fear of man bringeth a snare. You know, it's very, very important for us to note, I think, that when the Holy Spirit of God addressed the fear of the crowd in John chapter 12, that he did so in direct connection with the flattery of the crowd. John 12, look at it, in verse 42 says this. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. There's your fear. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Here it is. Here's your flattery. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. In other words, hey, tell me, listen, tell me whose approval you're seeking right now. Young people, tell me who you want to be praised by, and I can tell you who you're afraid of. Fear the Lord and seek his approval. And you will avoid the snares of Satan. Anyone of us in this room who has ever been caught up in a mob, it's happened to me one time, twice, if you include a race riot in high school. One time as a young boy in Turkey watching the Yankee go home. If you've ever been caught up in a mob or a big crowd of zealous, you know how influential and frightening that can be. This week I heard the testimony of a Marine who was one of the Iranian hostages in 1979 in the American Embassy in Tehran. This guy was trained, and he was tough, still is, but he was trained to break things and kill things. And like all Marines, he was steeled for the battle. But he said that when he was paraded out in front of all of these people, this frenzied crowd that's shouting, death to America, that, he said, was terrifying to him. So that, you know, if you don't already know what you believe and why you believe it, If you don't already know with conviction what you're living for and willing to die for, you're toast in the crowd. You will be afraid. And let me just say, it doesn't have to be a crowd of religious fanatics numbering the thousands. It could easily be a crowd of two or three. At your job, young people in your university, at your school, at your own home. For our Lord's part, he knew who he was and whose he was. In fact, he had just won that battle. He had just won that battle back in the wilderness in this very same chapter. You may remember when Satan said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of them. Folks, that's the ultimate crowd. I'll give you everybody. Jesus' answer, you remember, was verse 8. And Jesus answering said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Once again, if you fear God and you serve God, you won't fear or serve the crowd. In fact, you know, in some ways, all that our Lord did as our example was walk through the crowd by simply minding his own business. He was doing the will of of the Father. So flattery, that's not a thing. Doing it for applause, not a thing. Threats, not his business, not his problem. 
God's business was everything. I remember a pastor who was in the home of one of his church's visitors. And their little five-year-old son was there and he promptly pulled out a big photo of his class that year. And he started describing this little boy, all of his classmates, and he said, this is Robert. Robert hits everyone. And this is Stephen. He talks and never listens. This is Sarah. She always cries. This is Katie. She makes bad grades. He goes on an entire litany of every picture. And he finally, he comes himself. Oh, say, there's me. This is me minding my own business. <laughs> yeah, not hardly. You know, it's really kind of elementary. It really is. But Christians who are concerned with the crowd or what the crowd thinks are really just concerned with the wrong business. Our business is not the crowd. Our business is the will of God. And it is each and every individual soul that he brings us to. Our Lord Jesus wasn't flattered. He wasn't fearful. And then number three, which is something that all of us, this pastor, something that all of us need more of. He wasn't fragile. He wasn't weak. Which is to say that he didn't get his feelings hurt. He didn't cry about how unfair they were. And you're trying to hurt me. These are the people I grew up with. You see, folks, if you're flattered, they'll own you. If you're fearful, they'll paralyze you. And if you're fragile, they'll discourage you. One of the critical things you'll notice in this text is how our Lord responds to the rejection and the threatenings of his own people. When they said at the end of verse 22, isn't this Joseph's son? Do you realize that that was their very first indication of unbelief? This man can't be the Messiah of Isaiah chapter 49 that he just read. It can't be. And Jesus' response to all of that rejection and all of that unbelief was to quote prophecy. And realize that even their rejection was a part of God's plan and God's redemption. So why would you be offended? The Lord Jesus came to die. And you know, if you've already died to self, which we're commanded to do, it's hard to get your feelings hurt. Do you think the headlines in the British tabloids have any effect on Queen Elizabeth now in the grave? Tabloids mean nothing to her. She's gone. She's dead. And I'm telling you, the crowd will have no effect on a believer who's died to self and is alive unto Christ. There's nothing fragile about a child of God who is crucified with Christ and who takes up his cross daily. One of the reasons social media can be so destructive and toxic and I love teaching our high schoolers and junior hires. I love them. I love seeing them four years in my class and graduate out and go on like Ashley and others. But I have seen and I've watched the past 15 years in particular how social media has had an effect on their, on their psyche, on their spirit, on their heart. 
And one of the reasons why it's so toxic for many is that instead of Christians dying to self, social media has the effect of focusing on self. In fact, literally what it's doing is increasing the size of your crowd. It's making your crowd bigger and bigger. I have 42,000 followers on Instagram. You have 42,000 people looking at what you buy, what you wear, what you eat, and how much you weigh. I'm an influencer. I think you're being influenced. And you're being influenced by choice. Nobody in this room wants the world to know how much they weigh unless you weigh less than your ideal body weight and there's only six of us like that in this room. (laughs) Don't be hurt by the crowd. Walk through the crowd. I remember, speaking of weight, I remember when we lived in the Heights, I used to always every week weigh myself on the big public scale at that time in Chasewood. Kind of the same time of the day and the same day of the week. Some kid had placed a sticker on the side of it. And so one day in little small numbers, I put my my weight, my first weight, my baseline, if you will. That number, that sticker was there on the side of that scale for years and years. So I'd weigh myself every week. On this one occasion, there were two older ladies in front of me, and they were each taking turns weighing themselves. It's kind of cute. I say little old ladies. I'm probably their age now, so whatever. <laughs> and they were using the scales, and I'm waiting patiently because technically by then it's my scale. Amen? I mean, it's got my, my number on it. And I can hear them, 98.3. She gets off. 96.2. And I smile at them. They go on, and I, I jump on the scale real quick, and I watch the needle, and my heart sinks. It's like 18 pounds up in one week. I thought I might die of obesity right there on that scale. And I hear one of those old ladies say, he's like two of us. (laughs) And I look back and one of them has her foot on the scale. The nerve. Thankfully, when she took her foot off, the needle bounced back to my current weight, 176. Amen. What are you laughing at, Michael? (laughs) Whatever. It's just gravity. We're all going to weigh the same on Mars. That's why Elon Musk wants to go there. So anyway, I go home and I tell Louise about these ladies. And she says, I pity the fool who puts his foot on my scale when I'm weighing at Publix. (laughs) So I'm like, note to self, do not put my foot. But you know, it's funny. It's, It's human nature to get your feelings hurt. By what other people think. It would be nearly impossible for me to get 50% of you to come up here and tell everybody your weight. Some of you, your age. It is a natural part of the flesh to worry about what other people, and get, get your feelings hurt. And you know, that's why the devil uses it. Beloved, this is why the crowd is so dangerous. The good news is that God has not called us and God has not enabled us to merely do the natural or the human thing. He has called us and enabled us to do the supernatural and the spiritual thing and walk through the crowd and continue doing the will of God. There's a crowd in America, beloved, 
And I'll say it again, in part because of social media, that crowd has gotten huge for individual people in this room. There is a crowd, there is a group. They don't like or understand this book. They neither appreciate nor agree with your faith. But we're not following the crowd. We're following Jesus. Whose business is saving individual souls in every crowd. Do you notice the very first thing that it says that Jesus did after that crowd? It's in verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man. Wow. That man had demons just like we did when we were lost. And in the synagogue, another crowd, there's one guy who's not saved, who's lost. That's the heart of the Lord. The Lord Jesus came to this earth to save people individually, not corporately. Don't be afraid of that crowd. Riches I heed not, nor vain empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. His king of heaven, my treasure thou art. I wonder this morning if you will say in your heart, you know what? I'm not here to hear the applause of men. I have the audience of one. I'm not here to be intimidated by people who hate this book and don't understand the grace of God. I'm not here to get my feelings hurt. Die to self. I'm here to serve God. And Jesus has given me an example. He defeated Satan in the wilderness and he used the word of God to do so. He used the very same thing that you're supposed to use and I'm supposed to use and that we can use. As we said earlier in the message, perhaps, and I'm sure, in a group this size, some of you are not saved. Jesus came to save you. He didn't come to save America or Australia. He didn't come to save groups, giant mobs of people. He came to save one individual soul, and you are that soul today. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. Won't you, Father, bless now this invitation. We pray, God, that you'll help all of us to leave this room. As was noted earlier, leave this room. Having been changed by your word and by the example that you've given us of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the captain of our salvation who was not afraid, who was not fragile. And I pray, God, we will walk in his steps. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.